0: Good evening and welcome to Tonight Night Live. That's right. Well, before we get started, turn in your songbooks to number 778, 778. I want to tell Brother Casebolt, I really, really appreciated your prayer. And you're praying that the church in Mississippi will love the Williams. Well, we're praying that the next preacher at Waterford will love all of you as much as we do. And so, thank you, brother. And that's certainly how we feel. And I was telling Lenora earlier today, we're going to reserve one of the bedrooms in our house since we're empty nesters and we'll be there all by ourselves except when they come and visit. So, we will have a reserved bedroom called the Waterford Room. (laughs) So, anybody who wants to come and visit the great state of Mississippi, I don't know what you want to see there, but Elvis's birthplace is in Tupelo, so maybe you like a little bit of Elvis, and you'd like to see that, but you can just come to see us, and we'll have the Waterford Room ready. I suggest that you come in the winter. It's going to be 72 tomorrow in Tupelo, Mississippi, and maybe we'll come visit you in the summer when it's 99 and and 90% humidity down there, and it's 72 up here, so we can have a good arrangement with this. As we move forward, I also hope some of you will consider going with the group. There's already four families who are going to go to Tahoe this year, and I'm sure they'd love to have some of the rest of you as well. And so we, we would love to see you there as well. I, I want to lead this song tonight, and there's two reasons. First of all, this song is very dear to me. This is my favorite song in the book, because at the lowest points in my life, I have sang this hymn to the Lord as a prayer. It is a powerful, powerful prayer. I dare not try, it says in verse 1, to take one step alone, because I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. I need thy strength to lean myself upon. Be with me, Lord, when dangers threaten. Storms of trial burst above my head Be with me, Lord, no other gift or blessing could compare. And be with me, Lord, when loneliness or takes me, and when I must weep amidst the fires of pain. So I want to lead it because it's dear to my heart, but I want to lead it because it fits very, very well with our study of this first chapter of the book of 1 Peter. Because the entire book, as we introduced last week, is about Peter encouraging God's people to persevere and to triumph over suffering. In the book of Peter, when you read his message about suffering, it can change our perspective because we have explained this in great detail. We have not had the right perspective on suffering in the church. We have not. We see suffering as something to ask God to take away or something to ask God to help us avoid or something to, and that is not the biblical perspective. It is not. In Scripture, suffering is not seen as a bad thing, but as an opportunity. And yes, we're to pray to God when we're suffering, but it's not necessarily, Lord, don't have me suffer. It's, Lord, help me to overcome suffering and to show you through this trial and through this suffering that I choose you That I love you, and I will love you no matter what the devil throws at me. I will be your man, your woman, no matter what stands in my way. Lord, you see, that's what suffering is. It's an opportunity to make our love for him real. To make it real. But we have to, the only way a believer can do that is if the Lord is with us and we rely on him. So as we sing this hymn, and we'll sing all four verses, I want you to really kind of put the other things out of your mind and sing these words straight up. Sing these words towards heaven, not just in your mind and not just words that you, that you just repeat, but rather sing the words as a prayer. What a powerful prayer it is. Be with me, Lord, I cannot live without Thee. I dare not try to take nine. Of course, we've mentioned that first Peter is an encouragement to people who will face soon some very difficult hardship. And he starts off in verses three and four that we examined in great detail last week. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Preserved for, uh, in heaven for you. Now he roots first of all this hope that we find in Christ. On that which the Apostle Paul will tell us is the very root, the very foundation, the pillar. The cornerstone if you will of our hope. And that is upon the resurrection Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about that all through the lesson last week. We went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great resurrection passage, where he talks about the fact that there are those who were wondering because of some of the Gnostic philosophy and other ideas that were being spread in the first century church, heresies that were being put out there. He says to them, Don't ever, ever, ever question this. That Jesus is raised from the dead. Because if he is not, he uses very strong language. He says, then we of all men are most to be pitied. We're most pitiable. That's a strong word. Pitied. That means pathetic. That means sad and deluded. I mean, you've known people like that, that you felt bad for before, right? Who were living a lie who were living a sad and deluded existence. And so we don't want to be those people. But he says, if Jesus is still in the ground, then we are those people. Then people should pity us because we've built our entire lives upon nothing but a lie. Because none of the rest of the scriptures matter. They don't. None of the rest of the instructions in Scripture are valid. They aren't. If Jesus making the claim that He would die and be raised again, if He's still in the ground, then He's a fraud or a liar or a lunatic. If He's still in the ground, then indeed we don't have any salvation from our sins because His death was meaningless and there is no hope of life after death. And if there's no hope of life after death, then this is all we got. And when we're dead, we're like Rover. We're dead all over. And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, for if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, let us eat and drink and be merry. For tomorrow we die. And his implication is, and we're just dead. And that's really a, that's really a, Profound and sad thought for people who don't believe in God. You know, I've, I've looked and tried to consider. I've known several atheists in my life and a lot more agnostics. And I've wondered, how t- do people not just live their lives in despair? Because I'm 48 years old now, and it seems like just yesterday I was 28 years old. Anybody else have that experience? I'm telling you, young people, you've heard this all your life and you don't believe it, but you will someday. Life goes by quick. This life is short. We are but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away, James tells us. And the older you get, the more you appreciate the truth of that. I mean, it just seems like yesterday. I mean, young people, they talk about 9-11 like that's ancient history. And I still remember sitting there watching it like it happened just yesterday. You know, it's a, and then I got to thinking about it. I think of World War II as being so very long ago. But then when I got to thinking about the year I was born, there were people who were still out in the workforce and who had fought in that war. It wasn't that long ago. See, young people have a different perspective on time than old people do. And the truth is, is that life is very, very short. And if you don't realize it, you will. Life is short. And you know what? If there's no life after death, everybody's life really is meaningless. Because the vast majority of us are going to be forgotten. If I were to ask you, Tell me who your great great grandfather is. Some of you could maybe tell me his name, but you couldn't tell me much about him. Because you didn't know him. And that's strange that our, oh, now we have ancestry.com and all that. And I've looked into that on my family, and it's kind of interesting. There's some things there that maybe I'm not terribly proud of in my family line, but you know, most of it's kind of interesting. But I can tell you that all they are is a name on a page. No different than when I open up a fictional novel and there's a name on a page. It is as if those people in my past never even lived. Life without life after death is futile. In fact, I could say that my life doesn't mean any more than rocks. But the truth is, if there's no God, and if there's no life after death, my, my life is less important than a rock. Because a stone will survive me. It'll be here when I'm not. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Jesus Christ is resurrected. Because He lives, I can face Tomorrow. And life is worth the living just because he lives. It is our hope. It is our only hope. It is the hope upon which all other hope is built. So he says you can endure suffering because this life isn't what you hope in anyway. We have hope in a future because we have a resurrected Lord. Which leads us to verse 4. To the inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It is a hope that cannot be shaken. I really don't like the way that our English language and our present society tends to change and most of the time weaken words and their definition. I mean, the word love has just been butchered. In our culture, I mean, you ask him, "What's your favorite ice cream?" And Bruce may tell me, "I don't know. You look like a bubble gum guy." Uh, I mean, he, my favorite ice cream is bubble gum. I love it. And that's the same word we use talking about our children and our wives, or wife, wife. I meant wives, <laughs> and our, Maybe don't worry. <laughs> and our wife, and the same word we use to talk about, you know, our children and the Lord. That's a cheapening of the word to compare it to bubblegum ice cream. And there's so many ways that we've done that with so many words. What about the word hope? What about the word hope? We were talking about football in the hallway today. And Mario, is a, he's, a, he's a Michigan Wolverine fan. I mean, that to me is a person of great loyalty and integrity to be a Michigan Wolverine fan. A Lions fan is even more so, amen? <laughs> so he was talking about they're going to be playing Alabama, and I'm an Auburn fan, so I'm happy we beat Alabama and knocked them out of the whole thing. But here's the thing. He was saying, well, may, I, said, I don't think y'all are going to win. And Mario and I, we have a it's not betting, it's not a wager, but he'll be buying me breakfast after the first because I don't like Alabama at all, but, hey, I do like free breakfast. <laughs> Okay, now here's the thing when it comes to that. you, I mean, he, he hopes that they win, and that's the word people will use, but that is not the right use of that word. We wish that our team will win. We desire for our team to win, but that is not what the word hope means. Because unless it's a guarantee, now I feel pretty solid I'm going to have a free breakfast, Okay. <laughs> But even that doesn't rise to the level of hope. Hope is an assurance. Hope is a guarantee. Hope is a wish that is coupled with the power of God. Hope is a wish that has with it the promise of he who cannot break a promise. Hope for the believer it's not just a desire. It is a fulfilled desire. There's so many places in Scripture where this is assured to us. Of course, we know Romans chapter 8, 37, and 39, that in all these things, we are more than... How are you that? How can you be more than a conqueror? Because the only way you're more than a conqueror is if you can't lose. If you can't lose. But we are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that the need of height, no depth, angels, principalities, things present, things come, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And if God loves me, and if God makes a promise, that is an assurance. That's hope. Or we look back in Romans chapter 4. And we examine verses 18 through 21 where Paul writes, he says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, talking about Abraham, and the dead, deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of, of God. Listen to those words. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And Paul starts that section by saying, contrary to hope, in hope belief, he's saying, Regardless of what the hope the world defines it as, we have a hope that's different because we don't waver. It's a hope that's built on the assurances of God, on the presence of God. It's a hope that cannot be shaken. That's why they could persevere through any suffering, any trial, any difficulty, Because nothing, height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor nor life, nor death, nor height, depth, any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. So you see, Christians can see any momentary difficulty in a different light, through different lenses, through the lenses of faith and hope. And then in verses 5 through 9 of our text in 1st Peter 1 it says who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice though for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials he's not denying that the believer this is no health and wealth gospel he's saying believers are going to have trials it's a guarantee you're going to have difficulty you're going to have trouble But that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, you believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, The salvation of your soul. So he wraps up this truth that Christian hope is dependent upon the resurrection. That that hope is a hope that cannot be shaken with this point. That because of that hope, we can persevere through any trial this earth has to throw at us. God's people can and God's people have. There is nothing any of us have ever faced that is worse or beyond what other believers have faced and been victorious over. Read Fox's book of martyrs and you'll see. Look at the way that believers faced all sorts of... And it'll be some of these very folks he's writing this letter to. They'll face persecutions. They'll face trials. In this particular time, Nero himself... We'll take Christians in Rome, and it's very possible that, that, Paul, that Peter writes this as he writes to those dispersed throughout Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. He talks about Babylon. He could be writing it from Rome itself, the new Babylon. And in Rome, in this exact period of time, Nero is going to take believers and burn them alive to light his dinner party. And yet he writes to them. You can face it all. You can overcome. The trials will be many. And they will be diverse. But his message is that we can endure. Because of the hope. And we should know that. And decide before they come. That our faith. Just like Abraham, the father of faith. Our hope will not waver. It will not waver. Now the danger of talking about trials is there for sure are going to be people in this audience of 100, I don't know, 150 people or so. There are folks in here right now, and you know who you are, that right now is your moment of trial. You had to drag yourself to church tonight because it just feels like your world's closing in. And your heart may be broken and you may feel beaten down. You may feel beaten down because of your own choices in life. And you may look in the mirror and just want to want to wring that person's neck that you see there. Why did I make these choices? Some of you may feel beaten down because of life circumstances. There are things just out of your control that just happen. Maybe illness. And, you know, maybe you didn't bring any of it on yourself. There are people who get lung cancer who never smoked a cigarette. I mean, it happens. Or maybe because others are mistreating you at work or, or maybe even members of your own family and they breaking your heart. There are... The trials are many and they are diverse. And what we don't ever want to do is dismiss the pain that you feel. Because Peter doesn't dismiss it. He simply encourages us to overcome it. Tonight, if you're in your moment of trial, you are in the midst of an entire Fellowship of people who have been through it too. I told you not long ago that I've just decided one of the other things I've realized as I get older. Everybody's life is hard. Now they're hard in different ways. But your life is hard in one way and my wife is hard. Life, my wife is hard. Did I? Say? My life is hard. Maybe that's why my life is hard. My, my life is hard in a different way. And your life is hard in a different way. And you're, but here's the thing. We're good at pretending it's not, but everybody's life is hard. Sometimes it's just nice to know that there are other people who are going through stuff too who are there for you, care about you, pray for you, encourage you. Tonight, if you need to be encouraged, don't feel any shame. That's not weakness. It takes real strength to say that. Let us encourage you. Let us pray for you, lift you up. Don't wait. Come right now as we stand and as we sing.